turn in the Word of God this morning to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The Apostle has already taught the truth that we are justified before God by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he has applied that truth to the issue of faith, the faith that saves then both Jew and Gentile. And that's where we really take it up now. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, for until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, 
as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. We consider this morning the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 5. Lord's Day 5. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? God will have his justice satisfied, and therefore we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. Can we ourselves then make this satisfaction? By no means, but on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? None. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. What sort of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? For one who is very man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is one who is also very God. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is important for us to remember that the subject matter of the catechism here is a matter of faith. What we are instructed here and what we know here is something that we receive and know only by faith. The question that begins this Lord's Day makes that clear. First of all, because that question is based upon the previous Lord's Days, which the questioner has received by Faith. The question is, since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. That's the premise to the question. And that premise is what's taught 
in Lord's Day 3 and 4. And faith has received that. Faith has received that even though the very questions asked, for example, in Lord's Day 4, are questions that we ask in our old man of sin. We learned previously that the questions that are asked there are man's way of escape. They are man's way of trying to find other doors through which to escape the righteous judgment of God. And those doors were all shut in Lord's Day 4. So much so then that the premise of Lord's Day 5 is that there is no way of escape. At least there is no way other than one way. That's the whole point of Lord's Day 5. There is only one way of escape from God's wrath and judgment. This question, you understand, therefore, is really a question of faith. It's not asked in unbelief. It's asked so that we may see that one way. In fact, the question itself is very remarkable in that it is even asked. The unbelieving man or woman who has rejected God and even denies that there is a God isn't looking for a way of escape. Now, they show by their behavior that in fact their conscience is troubled, that they realize they have offended God, but it's something they reject and they deny all of their life and all of the activities of their life, all the busyness, all the entertainment, all the spending of money, all the vacations are all attempts to escape the righteous judgment of God, the very God that they have denied. But consider also that there are plenty of others who make this way of escape a way of escape that's other than faith, that even present this way of escape as something that God provides for every human being without exception. And that this is a way of escape for them either now in this life by accepting Jesus Christ as they say, or one that will be provided later on. This is universalism. And there are attempts to reject really this notion when a man is interested in a gospel that presents a way of escape from God, that presents a way of escape from God's wrath and justice, but is not interested in the other part of the question, 
which is this is a way of escape from God back unto God. That we need a way of escape from the judgment and justice of God, but a way that returns back to God. Many find that abhorrent. They aren't at all interested in going to hell. They would like to escape hell, the reality of hell, the reality of God's righteous judgments, but the thought of living everlastingly in God and with God is not something they look forward to. They would like eternal life in that way of escape, but not an eternal life with God. So this is the position of faith, and a position that concerns two concepts, justice and mercy. Our first point will be on justice, that it's a way of justice. Secondly, that it's a way of mercy. And finally, we return back to the notion that this is a way of faith. So consider that with me this morning. God's the way or satisfaction, the way of escape. Did not really in my introduction talk much about what satisfaction is, but it underlies and is the main teaching of this Lord's Day. That this concept of satisfaction also is one that is taught in light of two other concepts, the justice of God and the mercy of God. This word satisfaction is going to occur again and again in this section. And one could easily begin by trying to present what satisfaction really is. But you understand that what faith wants to know and what faith needs to know with regard to satisfaction is bound up in the reality of God's justice and His mercy. And that is one of the points that we must hear and receive this morning. The truth taught here in the Heidelberg Catechism is foundational. Foundational. In other words, it is absolutely basic to faith. Any faith that does not understand and receive with joy and thanksgiving the truth that is taught here is no faith at all. You have eyes to see, and you with me can survey the Christian church world today, that is, the church that claims to have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And with your eyes, you can see as well as I can that the Christian church today does not follow God isn't interested in obeying God. 
They have a real interest in a way of escape from God's wrath, and they sing of that. They may even have a concept of some sort that this is mercy and sing of that too. But the reality of the Christian life that they live, and we may include ourselves here, makes clear that they are not at all really thankful at all for what they claim to believe and worship God concerning. Ask yourself, why is it that the vast majority of the Christian church world today believes that there is no such thing as election and reprobation? Not only do not believe it, but mock and scorn and ridicule the notion of predestination. Ask yourself how that can be. Why is it that the Christian church today is not only joining forces with the world, but is running ahead as leaders in the whole LGBTQXYZ movement? Why is that? How can that be? In light of Scripture, how can it be that Christian institutions today boldly and without shame teach evolution as the explanation for the origins of the universe? Why is it today that supposedly the great virtue of the church is that it receives people as they are? And what is meant by that is not that they are received as rich or poor, male or female, black or white, that there is no respecter of persons in the church as there is with God, but rather Christ receives you with all your sin and iniquity in such a way that you may remain in it. That repentance is not necessary to follow Jesus Christ. One may follow Jesus Christ and continue to live as an alcoholic or an adulterer or an idolater. And that's the gospel of the church. Why is it that we, we are not as thankful as we ought to be? Why is it that we easily find ourselves entertained, that we find joy and gladness for our soul in everything but the Word of God? or studying the Word of God? Why is it that we are quick to talk to everyone else, about everyone else, but slow to talk to God? Why is it that an individual can live in gross sin year after year after year in the church and imagine to himself that this is the Christian life? The answer is, unbelief, ignorance concerning the basic truths of Lord's Day 5. And particularly now, the notion of God's justice, and following that, the notion of God's mercy, and related to that, the notion of satisfaction. Because the truth is that without those three understandings of faith, There is no faith in Jesus Christ 
No need for him, no gratitude for him. And now I want to demonstrate that to you. I want to point out how foundational these truths are. And you may consider for yourself how often perhaps you have thought about them or lack thereof with regard to all kinds of other things that you might consider the Reformed faith. Perhaps you imagine to yourself that these are relatively small things with regard to the Reformed faith. That the Reformed faith is all about the grace and mercy of God. It is. But our confessions and the Scriptures teach that there is no conception of God's mercy without understanding the notice, the truth of the satisfaction of His justice. Now, you may follow along if you will, but I'm simply going to read to you the creeds. And I first want to point out to you that this notion of justice didn't just pop up in the catechism, that the catechism has been teaching this to us already. In question and answer nine, the question is asked, doth not God then do injustice to man by requiring from him in his law that which he cannot perform. Notice, the accusation is of injustice. That supposes a a notion of justice on the part of faith. The answer is not at all, for God made man capable of performing it. That is his law. But man, by the instigation of the devil and his own willful disobedience, deprived himself and all his posterity from those divine gifts. Question answer 11. Is not then God also merciful? Notice. First the question concerns God's justice. And then just a question later, the question turns to His mercy. Well then, is it God merciful? Answer. God is indeed merciful but also just. See? See the issue? Mercy and justice. They go together. They have to be reconciled and dealt with in God. Therefore, His justice requires that which sin, that sin which is committed against the Most High Majesty of God be also punished with extreme, that is, with everlasting punishment of body and soul. Notice, justice has already been taught us what God's justice is. And then, of course, we have the question of today, question answer 12, that simply builds on that. When it asks, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve something. And is there no way to escape that? And the answer is simply, God will have His justice satisfied. Now, the Catechism doesn't leave those concepts. It's not like either this is taught only here, and then we move on to better and happier things. But the Catechism rightly returns to these concepts. In question and answer 16, even, the next Lord's Day, why must He, that is the Mediator, be very man and also perfectly righteous, because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which hath sinned 
should also likewise make satisfaction for sin. Notice again, the answer of the Gospel begins with the justice of God and that it must be satisfied. You get question answer 40. This question is asked about Jesus Christ. Why was it necessary for Him to humble Himself even unto death? Answer. Because with respect to the justice and truth of God, satisfaction for our sins could be made no otherwise. No otherwise than by the death of the Son of God. All right, that's the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism. Now let's look at another of our great creeds, the canons. Guess what the first three articles are all about. The first three. Yes. Head one. Article one. Again, you may follow along. As all men have sinned in Adam lie under the curse, and are deserving of eternal death. Notice that is the underlying teaching and assumption of the entire gospel. God would have done no injustice by leaving them all to perish. Take note. If you want a sense of the justice of God as taught by the Scriptures and the Reformed faith, it begins with this. As all men have sinned in Adam, as all men lie under the curse, as all men are deserving of eternal death, God would have done no injustice if He had left us all, you and me included, to perish. That's God's justice. Every last human being. That's where we start. And delivering them over to condemnation on account of sin according to the words of the Apostle in Romans 3.19. It also quotes Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death. Well, it goes on. The next article. Notice now, mercy comes up under the name love. But in this, the love of God, you could put the word mercy there, but in this, the mercy of God was manifested that He sent His only begotten Son into the world that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice, no mercy without justice. No justice without mercy. They go together. And so Article 3 says this, And that men may be brought to believe, God mercifully sends the messengers of these most joyful tidings to whom He will. Notice even there, God's mercy is shown in that He doesn't even send the tidings of good news to all men, but He sends them to whom He he will, and at what time He pleaseth, by whose ministry men are called to repentance 
and faith in Christ crucified. You see, this underlies even the call of the Gospel. There could be no response of faith in Jesus Christ crucified without faith understanding why it needs a Christ. And that Christ is the only way of satisfaction. I want to emphasize that point. There are all kinds of people that claim to have faith in Jesus Christ, acknowledge Jesus as some sort of Lord and Savior, but it is not because He is the only way of satisfaction. Because they believe neither in the justice of God, the strict justice of God, such a justice that God would not be unjust if He had left all men to perish. They don't believe in that. Nor a way of satisfaction. They scoff and mock at that kind of theology. But it's not Reformed and it's not biblical. We move ahead to head 1, Article 15. Notice again the themes. And now here we read this because this answers the question of why so many reject predestination and particularly reprobation, why they abhor that truth. But the Reformed find it important and necessary. Listen, what peculiarly, what especially, what importantly tends to illustrate and recommend to us the eternal and unmerited grace of election, let me substitute mercy there again, is the express testimony of sacred Scripture that not all, but some only, are elected, while others are passed by in the eternal election of God, whom God, out of His sovereign, now notice, most just, most just, remember the accusation against reprobation is that God is unjust. The Reformed faith says no. No, no, no. There we see God being most just. Irreprehensible and unchangeable good pleasure hath decreed to leave in the common misery into which they have willfully plunged themselves and not to bestow upon them saving faith and the grace of conversion, but leaving them in his just judgment to follow their own ways. And now notice, and at last, for the declaration of his justice to condemn and punish them forever. Not only on account of their unbelief, but also for their other sins. Now again, the canons do not simply leave this alone. Go to the second head, very first article. Guess what it's about? You guessed it. Same thing. God is not only supremely merciful, but also supremely just. And His justice requires, as He hath revealed Himself in His Word, that our sins committed against His infinite majesty should be punished, not only with temporal, but with eternal punishment, both in body and soul, which we cannot escape 
unless satisfaction be made to the justice of God. This, beloved, is Reformed truth. And now I'm just going to end by quoting from our third confession, the Belgic Confession. It's about Christ. If you ask a lot of Christians, perhaps you even ask yourself, what is it that Christ reveals? To our shame, we often think about ourselves. We immediately, when we think about Christ, think first of ourselves. That through Christ we get to escape. We may even delight in the fact that in Christ we get to return to God. But no. When we think of Christ, what we have to remember is that He first of all reveals God, His Father. He is God. And that what this is all about, notice, even in election and reprobation, the very revelation of predestination is about these two virtues of God. These two. Singles out these two over all the others. God's justice and mercy. And so the Belgic Confession, when it gets to Christ, has this to say. Article 20. God hath manifested, that is, God has revealed, God has shown. And the idea is God has shown this in a way that it cannot be seen and known any other way. God hath manifested His justice and mercy in Christ. We believe, notice faith, that God, who is perfectly merciful and just, notice again, they go together. You don't get one without the other. Merciful and just sent His Son to assume that nature in which the disobedience was committed to make satisfaction in the same and to bear the punishment of sin by His most bitter passion and death. God, therefore, manifested His justice. How so? God manifested His justice against His Son when He laid our iniquities upon Him. Now the other side. And poured forth His mercy and goodness on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation out of mere and perfect love giving His Son unto death for us and raising Him for our justification. Notice even that term justification has something to do with the justice of God. You see, it's only in the light of God's justice that we understand what mercy is. And I truly believe that even with faith, we believe mercy, we understand mercy, we can rejoice in God's mercy we are not really going to understand God's mercy toward us until the everlasting life. When we see what we deserve, when we truly see all of our sin revealed, all exposed, when we see all of its rottenness and filthiness in the light of God, you can't really see that now, can you? And you see God cast a world into everlasting perdition and hell for those very same sins that you committed. That's God's justice. Why is it we're not so thankful? Why is it we can live in iniquity? Why is it we can excuse sin? 
Why is it we can just forgive everybody's sins even when they're not sorry for them? Because we don't have a clue what God's justice is. And therefore also we don't understand what His mercy is. God's mercy, we sing about, we rejoice in, we consider it one of the cornerstones of what we believe as churches. God's sovereign, irresistible grace and mercy. But you have to understand, beloved, such is our sin and unbelief, that even there, we forget, we set aside, we minimize. This is our nature. You can test this. There's a million different ways to test it, but let me present just one. There's an office in the church that's known as the office of mercy for one reason. Because it is the office that exemplifies the mercy of God toward us. His free, undeserving favor toward those who are in need. And His giving of them what they need for no reason in themselves. The reason is in God Himself. Perhaps you've looked at an office and think it's the office of money. The office of giving money. But no, it's the office of mercy, you see, because the money is free. It's free. And yet, that office is minimized, even minimized among us. We might imagine to ourselves that we could even live without that office. And to show how we don't understand mercy, we'd like to point out that when it comes to the diaconate, there's often two kinds of people in the church that represent our attitudes toward God's mercy. The first is that we don't need mercy. Ask the deacons sometime how many people they present the mercies of Christ. They even ask because they see signs. Do you need the mercies of Christ? And the answer is no. I'm good. Everything's fine. And you can shake your head and say, how strange. But yet that's man. Amazing thing. God's mercy is free. His grace is free. Undeserved. Wholly located in God. And you would think the whole world, you would think all men would flock toward it would want to drink from the wells of salvation, would eternally cast themselves at the feet of Jesus Christ and plead that mercy. It doesn't happen, does it? Why? Well, for the same reason, we won't, we won't receive diaconate help, or if we see it, we're ashamed about it because we're too proud. Yeah, we could sing about God's mercy and His grace, but we're too proud to say, I'm a sinner. I need His help. No, we imagine that we can satisfy. There's the issue. Such is God's justice, it's just like mine, that I can satisfy. If I do a little this and a little that, God should be satisfied. He should be satisfied with what I do. You see, and then you don't need mercy. Then you're good. You see, you're good. Be careful, beloved. When the only answer we can give to people to how you're doing is good. I'm good. Well, sometimes that's true. We are good. We're filled with peace and contentment. But many times it's, we're good because, well, we put our place, ourselves in a place where we feel good. 
Then there's another side of the equation, which sees mercy as something one deserves. Someone has the right to it. They go to the deacon, the deacons give them all the money they need, but they're ungrateful. They receive thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars from deaconate. The deacon needs to ask a few questions, and they get their hackles up. How dare you ask me those questions? Deacons are really asking, are you receiving this money with thanksgiving? It's from the mercies of Christ, it's from the hand of Christ. Are you receiving it with gratitude to God? And the answer by the use of that money is, no, not really. I'm taking it as something that I'm entitled to. You see, again, that's us. Come to God's church and His house, and here's God's grace, free. And we either sit here and say, well, I really don't need it. really don't need it. Or we say, I'm entitled to it. I'm entitled to it because of who I am, and what I am, and how I live. And neither of those things are true. And they can't be true if you understand God's justice. God's justice states that those creatures whom He made, especially us, rational, moral creatures, must, must live according to the will of God. And if we can't, we die. God's justice states that you can't pay because of that for one single sin. And here too, we don't really quite believe that, do we? And we show it. I can prove that too. How many times have you had it when you're reading the Bible? God had a certain law that this or that deserved stoning to death. There was a man who let one curse word come out of his mouth and God said, stone him. Stone him. There was a man that was guilty of rebellion against God's servant, his office bearer. When the earth swallowed up him and his whole family. And you look at that and you go, that's a, that's a bit harsh. You see, we don't, we don't really understand what it means. We don't understand God's justice. Because you and I aren't God. We think we're God, but we're not. And it's only when you understand that, beloved, that you can really, truly understand God's mercy. Otherwise, grace is just another word. Salvation is just another way to feel happy and joyful when you want it. And the point of the catechism is that this is faith. Anything short of that is not faith, it's unbelief. Faith, among the things that faith believes, is that Jesus is the only Savior because He's the only one that ever satisfied the justice of God Himself personally. Only He could love God with all His heart, with all His mind, with all His soul, and with all His strength. Only He was willing. Even when God said, You, son, must humble yourself. You must leave your place in my glory here in heavenly places and go down to that world of darkness and shame, the world of misery, that world where everyone deserves to die. And you must die for those sinners there. Yes, those people there who don't 
understand my justice. Those people there who don't know anything about my mercy, those people there who mock and scorn and ridicule, even those people there who after this is revealed to them will hate and despise, must become to see and to know. That's what faith believes. Because only in Christ, and when you look at Christ, this is what faith ought to see. You see the marvelous, wonderful virtue of God known as His justice. It's precious to God. So precious that He didn't wink at our sin. He couldn't just say, well, it's forgiven, because I say so. But so precious is that attribute to God, and thus ought to be precious to us, that He gave His only begotten Son for sinners. And therein, too, really is the mercy of God. There is no mercy of God, truly no mercy of God, without the satisfaction of the justice of God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord our God, we thank Thee for our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is manifest that Thou art supremely just and supremely merciful. O Lord our God, may it live in our soul that no injustice would have been done if we had been left to perish, if we were assigned to hell, to bear there the eternal wrath that is due to us against our sins. We pray, Father, that we may therefore also glory in Thy mercy, Thy will, to give us Jesus Christ, to pay what we could not pay, to satisfy what we could not satisfy, and give us faith to believe in that good news of the Holy Gospel. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.